Today, in topic number two, or class number two, we're going to jump actually into scripture. We're going to read the command um, about the Great Commission. Um, we're going to cycle. I'm going to apologize up front. There's going to be a lot of cycling back and forth into um, scripture. So we're going to hear a lot of pages flipping or, or thumb scrolling on our electronic devices. So with that said, uh, today, let's go ahead and flip over to Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew 28. 16 through 20. We're going to be in Mark 16, 14 through 20. So the back ends of each of the books. And we'll start there and then we'll flip over to there's some um, references to going to all nations in Luke and in Acts as well. We'll hit those two as well. <coughs> With that said, I'm going to go ahead and start reading from the Matthew account. It's Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20. It says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus was, uh, had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So keep that in mind as we flip over to Mark 16. And we're going to read Mark 16, 14 through 20. It says, Afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creations. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink um, any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the uh, signs that followed. Then we'll finish up real quick. We'll flip over to Luke. Uh, Luke 24, 46 through 48. Actually, I'll go back to 45, beginning of the sentence. It says, Then he, which is Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, This is, uh, th thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and their repentance for forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning uh, from Jerusalem. And then we'll finish up in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, to even to the remotest part of the earth. So those last two kind of talk about um, going out to the nations. Through, you know, we're spreading out now. We're not staying with Jerusalem anymore. So with that said, we have spent, um, set this up, and then I'm going to hand it off to you guys. So we spent the last year talking about Jesus. So we've talked about his entire life. We went through the entire challenge. We stopped um, at his resurrection, right, Ricky? Yeah. And then now we have this period of 40 days, I almost said 40 years, 40 days um, where Jesus has multiple appearances, we'll call it, right? 
And the way that the books are written, um, from some commentaries that I've read, and from the way that we read it as well, it sounds like those events occur like one after another, where in reality we don't really know um, the chronological order of what of everything that happened in those 40 days, if that makes sense. They're written like it happened, one, one, one after another, potentially, but there could be some time in between. One could have happened now, fast forward next week, it happened there, fast forward, you know, a couple more days, the third event happened, right? You see, see what I'm saying there? But in this 40 days, though, we do have um, some events that have occurred. And so setting up both accounts that we just read, in Matthew, where does Jesus have his conversations with his folks? Dare I not read that part? I might not have. Uh, that's the Mark one. So Mark has, so this, and this is kind of important because it depends on how you interpret the different uh, Gospels. So we'll start with Mark. Mark has this, this event where Jesus appeared in front of folks that were reclining at the table. That could be found in Math, I'm sorry, Mark, Luke, and in John. Okay? And so we'll look at that audience. So that audience for this particular event, if you just read Mark, it says he appeared to the eleven themselves. Right? If you go and you flip over to the John account um, and tie that into the Luke account, it actually says that um, it was the 11 and others also. So his, his audience was a little bit bigger than just the 11 that were there. And he has that conversation with them about, um, well, he gives them the Great Commission, right? So then you flip over to Matthew's account. Matthew's account, I, I believe, is different. So this isn't, in my mind, Jesus didn't give the Great Commission once. He gave it at least twice. In Matthew, this heck, this occurs in Galilee on a mountain, right? So, reclining at a table, up on a mountain, pretty two distinguished, you know, distinct, you know, events. So that's why I'm saying this happened probably twice at least. I'm gonna back up a little bit, you guys. So, with that said, um, in First Corinthians, so I told you a lot of flipping around. In First Corinthians fifteen six. Peter talks to us about kind of a chronological order, I guess we'll call it, a little bit of what happened in those 40 days. And I'll just start in three real quick and read down to six. It says, For I delivered to you, this is Peter, I'm sorry, I keep saying Peter, this is Paul speaking to us. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas which is Peter, to the end, uh, then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at once, most of them who remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. So people who are definitely a lot smarter than I am have said if you take that appearance of the 500, he believe, they believe that that occurred in Matthew's account. So you tie those two together. So if, as you read Matthew, you have... But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had designated. Um, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Then Jesus came up and spoke to them all, or spoke to them, saying, People are believing that, the scholars are believing, when you meld those two events together, it wasn't just the eleven. It was eleven plus five hundred folks. Is that making sense? So, we got a lot... 
lot of balls going around, but then I want to lay this, now this is where the, the discussion happens. So what observations do you see in those two accounts when you kind of compare those two together? Does anything stick out to you guys? There were still people that were doubting him that were there. So there are still people that were doubting in both accounts, right? Jesus says um, they worshipped him, but some were still doubtful in the Matthew account. And then Jesus comes and I think actually says berates them for being hard of heart. Yeah. He reproaches them for their unbelief and hardness of heart in the Mark account. And that was the 11. It wasn't the 500. It was the his apostles that were still people that doubted. Right, 11 plus the um, the others, right? So there's a few more. But yeah, if you if you look in the John account of this, if those all melt together, this is where uh, Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas, right? He even doesn't believe. So he has to poke, poke his, I don't know if it says it pokes his fingers into his wounds or not, but at least Jesus shows up his wounds, right? To say, hey, I'm here. I am Jesus. And think about that in your life story, too. Um, so we've talked about this a little bit of uh, last week about um, going out and evangelizing. Where do you begin? Remember, we talked about the gospel is so large, and it affects us all differently. <coughs> but when you're trying to have those conversations, I mean, do you launch straight into the end of Jesus coming to this earth to die and save? Or if someone comes to you and says, you know, why are you a Christian? You know, what 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 would you tell them, right? What, so the gospel's so large. Um, the question that I had for this was, how did the reality of Jesus' resurrection dawn upon you? Right? So there, then they had, the people then had the ability to see Jesus, right? Even in the first Corinthians passage, it says that, he, had, he talked to 500 people who were witnesses even to this day, right? So they could, and that, that conversation, it wasn't something like, hey, why do you believe in Jesus? Well, I saw him firsthand. You know, I saw him come out of the tomb. I saw his wounds. He came and talked to me. You know, all me, 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 right? Fast forward multiple generations later, you know, we have not seen Jesus. We are truly acting on a blind faith. True? Right? So we don't have those witnesses. We, we can't have that first-hand witness account anymore. So, you know, so the question, and you guys can say it out loud because this is a discussion if you feel comfortable, but what, you know, what, um, how did the reality of Jesus, Jesus' resurrection dawn upon you? Well, I think the point you're making is actually spreading the gospel isn't just reading them the scripture. It's, say, it's teaching them how it affected your life. It's sharing that with them is what you're asking us to, to kind of talk about, I think. Some people, I think, feel that spreading the word is just, I'm going to read you scripture, and then you take it, and I expect you to be baptized, and you're good. But actually, what you're talking about is saying, here's what God says, here's how it affects my life, here's why I live the way I live. Now, can we talk about what that means for you? You're sharing your life with them, and how it changed you. So... If you didn't hear that, Amanda's saying that it's evangelism is more of a um, instead of reading scripture straight to them, it's telling them how scripture has affected my life. And I'd say that's probably two 
avenues of evangelism, right? Would we agree with that? Back in the day, does anyone remember the uh, study guide? We still have them, actually. Study guides that, as you walk through them, they kind of lead you through the um, steps of salvation, right? And then it finally ends to baptism, where then, oh, I need to have human interaction and go, you know, go take care of that, go get baptized, physically baptized. You know, is that evangelism? Yep. Yep. Is sitting down at a table with a friend and having how does how does God work within my life? Why am I a Christian? Why have I decided to walk this way? Is this evangelism? Yes. Yes. You know, it all kind of melts together, Jeremy. Uh, <clears throat> for me, I kind of see see them as you know the world works a certain way, and we get used to that, and we get into our habits and everything. Normally, people don't come back from the dead, right? Right. So they see him. It's on. How do I believe that? Because you know your brain is thinking that's not possible, but yet there it is. And for me, and and. Our Christian walk, we see things a certain way. You know, should I deserve this or can I be forgiven? You know, normally our our worldly view is no, that, that's not possible. So we have to open our minds up to where we can say, with God's help, yes, these things are possible. You know, we have to change our, our view a little bit of how things work. We kind of put God in a box in a, in a sense. And I think... You know, it, you know, can I make it to the next paycheck? You know, if, well, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to, you know, God's going to help me. Things are going to work out. There's going to be opportunities. Something's going to happen that he helps me out. And being able to take that step and, do, and doing that and then being able to use that later on or like, like for me being a recovering alcoholic, you know, when I'm down in despair, there's no possible way I'm going to ever get sober. Not on my own. I have to rely on God and be able to use those type of testimonies to help somebody else maybe break that box a little bit and open it up to say, "Hey, we can get you from where you're at to somewhere better. It's possible." I, I think that's kind of my definition of evangelism a little bit. Yeah, using your life experiences to say, you know, there's there's always something better in this world, right? I can't, um, I can't do it on my own, right? And it, it's not a far leap to look out into this world just to say, um, you know, this, this world was formed, created by a divine creator is the term I think they use still in apologetics, right? And it's not a far leap to make for those that are lost and to have start having those conversations of, you know, I can't do this by myself. There is a, there is something else in this universe, a God that's out there that takes care of me. And I believe that. Here's the story I have, right, of how he's worked. Absolutely. Chris, I think a little bit is those of us that were raised have a whole different experience of how we think of evangelism because we it was never not kind of in our minds that, you know, God and Jesus, you know, the whole story. Whereas I think when I run into somebody that wasn't raised in Christianity and I see it out there, I try to listen to them a little more because I can see sometimes where people that were brought into Christianity seem to have a better way of evangelizing others. Because they were there, right? It's one of those things, it's relating. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things sometimes for us that we're raised, it's a little harder sometimes to evangelize because it's hard for us to, to think of what a person that never thought of having 
God or Jesus in their lives, you know? I mean, we're just raised that that's what it was, you know? And eventually we, like you said, we go through the steps and everything, but I, I just two different points there. And I think uh, I always try to get to the point of, like I said, somebody that came to the faith and try to learn from them on how they bring more people in. No, I'm with you. And, and Dale um, has said this in sermons before, um, that when he went to Australia, you know, there's people that don't know anything. And I'm sure it's in Western civilization as well. I mean, Americans and all that stuff. But he said that, they, you know, he'd run across people that had never heard of Jesus. Who's Jesus? I don't know Noah. What's, who's Noah? You know, I did, David, did you ever run across anybody that just knew nothing about the Bible? You know, and if, if they know nothing about the Bible... Where do you start, right? And if you and if you go straight to, you know, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. I mean, that might they might be that might be too far of a step for them, and they might say, "Nah, this is strange. You're weird. I'm leaving you." Right? So then you have to form, like you said, relationships, David. You got to form those relationships with them and say, "Hey, this is how I deal with things in life because I have I can't do it on my own." I've got a God who takes care of me. He takes care of me, takes care of me in, in multiple different ways, right? Through Jesus. So I'm going to jump forward and do a little advertising for my class later on. Go for it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> so, you're, you're kind of leading into it. And in, in you, you say, you know, maybe there's people like that in, in the Western American culture today. Well, there are a lot of people like that now. Um, I, I'm amazed when classes I've been taking in the last year or so at Southern Nazarene, how many people in the classes that I, that I take when we have discussions that have zero biblical knowledge, just none. They're at Southern Nazarene because of the structure of the program, not because they wanted to be at a Christian-based school or anything like that, and they have, they have no biblical knowledge whatsoever. But in the, the series that I'll be teaching on worldviews in America, we're going to talk about the fact that just a couple of generations back, every time we went out knocking on a door or met somebody, we just assumed they had some knowledge of the Bible, they kind of understood what Christianity was, and it's just not the case anymore. We've got people that have no knowledge of any religion other than maybe some you know, misinformed statements off of social media, and then we have people that have a strong basis in some other complete different religion or worldview out there that we encounter. And we'll, Tempering our expectations of what people know so that we are more able to reach them where they are is, is kind of going to be the focus of that, that class. So. I think that's a good point that you mentioned because I think about this a lot. You, you hear about missions that are bringing more people in and it seems like they're all international, right? Whereas in America, it seems like Americans at one point now started to change a little bit. But if you're American, you're a Christian. It's like, well, no. You know, but that seems to be what a lot of, mm -hmm. you know, it kind of annoys me. It seems like that's what they think. It's like, oh, I'm American. Of course I'm Christian. They're like, uh, no. Even, even, even in the church, we tend to draw the parallels as we study the Old Testament between our nationality and the nation of Israel because we see that as a nation thing. Right. But the parallels are between the church and Israel, not between America and Israel, Right. But we, we still do that, and we still just expect that everybody in America somewhat shares the same values, and we'll make a statement, we'll just do the right thing. Well, the right thing is completely different to everybody. That, that statement means nothing, you know? So anyway, and we, and we encounter that as we try to share the gospel with people at different places, and they're, 
their background, their experience, their knowledge, their their values. And I think that's why I think more of the relationship building now is probably be more effective in evangelism than what we talked about last week. You know, you know, umpteen years ago, it was a one and done. Knock on the door. Do you believe in Jesus? No. You're done. I'm done with you. Right. Moving on to the next door. You know. And and now it's more that relationship building of of proving to people what what has Christianity given to me. What are the sale points? We'll call it. You know, sales points of of Christianity. Right. And back on the scripture that we just read, you know, how does Jesus open up? And this is before we're talking about doubters, just in general. How does Jesus open up his his um, lesson? We'll call it the Great Commission in the Matthew. Talks about authority. All authority has been given to me, right? On on heaven and earth, I think it says. A, a, a God who has just lived a sinless life, just been killed, just been resurrected. You think he wouldn't have to say that, right? But he has to say that. People. Yeah, people. He has to say that because of people. Because we we don't get it all the time. Just this this just this week. I kid you not. I sat in a conversation, heard a couple things, and I said, okay, I got to check out. I got to go do something. I walked out, and it took me about 10 steps down the hallway before I went, wait a minute. Did I hear, just, hear what I thought I just heard? So I scurried back to the office and said, hold on, I'm slow. <laughs> but did I just hear this? And they're all laughing, yes. I'm like, okay, now I know how it affects me. <laughs> and then I walked away. Jesus is the same way, I guess. He knew that about us and said, all authority has been given to me to tell you this, right? And then what what's, what follows that statement? Go. Go. I've seen it in my lifetime. I'm sure you guys have seen it in your lifetime. Sometimes we treat evangelism passively. Does that make sense? Yeah. Go is active. Go is I have to physically take myself and go do something. Passively says, I'm going to hang out here until someone comes to me. So how, how often as, Christ, you know, as Christians have we just prayed that we'll stay here until people happen to melander into to the church, and then we'll attack them, right? Ivan Stewart, in one of his books, actually made, there's a song called Bring Them In that um, we used to sing an old hymn back, back in the day. And he goes, That's how, how often has Christians converted evangelism into that aspect? Bring them in and we'll deal with them. Instead of, you know, when the saints go marching out, his, his other, which is not a song, right? So when the saints go marching in. But he made the stretch of saying, when the saints go marching out, you know, we need to go out into the world, right? And how, how comfortable does that make us feel? Well, the, one of the problems we have is that what we would like is to have a set of steps. This is how you evangelize. You start here, and then you do this, and then you do that, and it ends up here. And evangelism's not like that because the person we're talking to, every one of them is different. I was baptized by fire getting into management. I don't know what I was thinking. I guarantee it, but I was an engineer, loving the flow charts. <laughs> start, start at A, you work your way through the flowchart, and you end up wherever you need to. But then the next time, start at A, work through, I might end up in a different spot. But hey, it's all documented. That's the engineer in me. That is the process that I love you know, <coughs> dearly. Hug at night when I go to sleep, right? 
Did I get to management? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Baptized by fire, let's just put it that way. You don't know what's going to happen. So the one thing that you learn in management is you're very agile on your feet. And you've got to figure things out. And that's the same way because uh, with evangelism, because evangelism deal, deals with humans. I have a joke. Management would be great if it didn't have to deal with people. <laughs> right? <laughs> evangelism would be great if we didn't have to deal with people. Well, wait, hold on. <laughs> that's what evangelism is, right? Everything, every situation you go into is going to be a little bit different. Right? And you've got, we've all got to be agile. We've got to be able to think on our feet and be able to talk it through. But the one thing I think in, as humans is, um, where was I going with this? Was we get, we get scared or maybe discourage ourselves from, from those opportunities because what happens if I get myself into this situation and I don't have an answer? I don't know. It's ingrained in me. I don't know how. Maybe it's ingrained in you guys as well. But when you say, I don't know, sometimes that's a negative connotation. And we got to get ourselves out of that thought to say, it's okay to tell somebody, you know what, I don't know. I have to look into that. I'm going to have to have some discussions. But the key on that is follow through. You've got to follow through with that person. So they've, I don't know if you're doing it weekly, bi-weekly, occasionally, you know. But whenever you meet back up with them or send them a text, you know, here's the answer. Here's where I think. And that could be able to catapult into another conversation to have in evangelism. Right? And Jesus says what? Go and, and in the Matthew scripture says make disciples, doesn't he? So, I've looked in multiple translations. Modern translations all have make disciples. The King James uses the word teach. So, and to me, making disciples, how do you make a disciple? Does it take time? You have to set an example, so it takes work on your own part of doing the right things and showing the example of what you want them to be, but then it takes teaching and repetition and helping them through the process of trial and error as well. It takes, so last week for you guys that missed out, we're, we're going to kind of follow through after this lesson today. We're going to start following through Dr. North's um, model of total evangelism. And think of, of uh, concentric circles going into a, a bullet, or a bullseye. And one of those that Tracy kind of mentioned was Christian living. Christian living is one of those that we kind of have to have going in our favor before we evangelize. Because how awkward would it be if you start talking about Scripture and how, you know, it works for you and, and the Bible. And someone looks at you and goes, I didn't know you went to church. You know, just from your actions, your conduct, the way you hold yourself. Um, be kind of an awkward conversation at that point, wouldn't it? You have to step, take a couple steps back and work your way forward again. In all the instances of Jesus giving the, the command to go out, every one of them talks about there were still people doubting him. He never separates those people out. He still tells every single one of them to go and make disciples. He doesn't say, oh, you don't know enough yet. You need to firm up your faith first before you go out. He tells all of them it's your responsibility to go out, whether they were 100% on their faith or not. And I think, how do I say this without hurting feelings? Um, does everyone remember when we were baptized, when you were baptized? Do you, do you remember that feeling you had when you came out of the water? You could probably move mountains, right? I'm going to throw that up here. An old Schwarzenegger film, I think Commando, he has a 
big old log on this side, and he has a big old log on this side, and he's walking through this, you know, big Siberian desert. It's like a big tree. <coughs> you know, he's all, you know, buffed out. Is that what you felt spiritually? I'm going to throw, you know, this mountain on this shoulder, this mountain on this shoulder. I'm going to walk through it. I'm going to, you know, conquer, conquer Satan and his demons, and we're going to win this thing. But think about, you know, your, where you were at that point in time, and think of where you are now and how much you've grown. You know, would you have found yourself out there to evangelize? Could you have? Yes, absolutely. How many tools do you have now, right? We all kind of, as we, and, and you're right, Amanda, Jesus does not tell us, hold on, wait till you firm up your faith. We all, all of us in here can evangelize in some form or fashion, wherever we are. Well, if you think of in the first century, the ones that was dispersed that went out from Jerusalem was taking the word. They didn't have the New Testament. True. It hadn't been written yet. That's true. But what they did have was what they were taught, what they believed, and they took that and it, it turned the world upside down at that time. Definitely changed the way that they thought, right? Because that's how he finishes the Great Commission, right? Go and tell the world, make disciples, <coughs> baptizing them in the name of Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit. And then it was, and teach them all, the, all that I've taught you, the commands I've taught you, right? And that's kind of the perpetual part of the Great Commission, is not only are we going to make these disciples and talk to them, but we're also going to teach them these commands, which happens to be what? One of the commands is the Great Commandment. So it's one of those feedback loops that ends up where... We're going to be teaching them, hey, you need to go out and evangelize. Right, Wanda? Times have changed so because in going back and in reading the scriptures, all it took was a vow, a shake of a hand. And people, and I look at that, oh, that's all that was needed for somebody to accept something whether it was a bargain or whatever. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, people have to have groundwork. They have to have been taught. They've got to have something to back that up. How many pieces of paper do you have to sign for something? And it's completely different now. I work for the government, so infinite. <laughs> <laughs> but for people to be accepting now, it's so much different from back then. And that's a fair point. So Jesus lays out this great commission, right, that we're supposed to go and do all this. Does he tell us how to do it? Does he tell us the logistics of how to do it? I'm seeing a lot of heads shakes nose. I mean, if, if anyone has one, holler. I mean, I'm curious. I think it's because things are, you're right, Wanda, things are different, Right? And I think this is how the, the word speaks to us today still, is because he didn't say go, um, you know, sacrifice four donkeys and a sheep and, you know, go do a dowdy and do all this other. He, he didn't give us the, the rules and mindsets of what we should do to go evangelize. He said just go, go do it. And that was, that, in my mind, that's what makes it very personable, right? Because we're going to go do it and we're going to do it our way, as long as it's scriptural. Right? We're not preaching another gospel. We're going to do it our way. Right? Hold on a second, Tracy. Ready? Uh, 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 it escaped me now. <laughs> I have a lot of those moments. 
But it comes back hard. That was a really good thought. <laughs> Tracy, Jeff, you said it makes it very personal. It also makes it very cultural. It makes it very. Um, it makes it, it allows you to change your methods and change your tools as society changes, technology changes, time and culture changes. Because I think one of the things that bogs us down so much is we have this idea in our head when we say evangelism, we think of missionaries who go live in another country, and we think of knocking on doors still. And all of us are not able to be the person who goes and lives in another country, whether it's, you know, uh, age, finances, ability to adapt to other cultures. Everyone doesn't have that. We're not all able to do that. We know that knocking on doors in our society now, especially post-COVID, is not a very effective tool. I'm not saying it's ineffective, but it's not as effective as it was, say, in the 60s, you know, or 70s, right. or even, even the 80s. Um, I mean, I'm afraid to knock on doors anymore. Well, so. we, we, we have members, I think I've shared this, we have, members, we, we have members here at this church that will see an elder walk up their sidewalk to come visit them and check on them, and they won't open the door. Oh, wow. I, I, I mean, not because they don't like the elder, they just don't want people coming in their house. Well, the same you know? fact, telephone ministry is calling people. Yeah. <laughs> call someone my age or younger, I'm going to, I would probably accept a text more than I would a phone call. So if I don't have that, if you're not on my contact list, about nine times out of ten, I'm not picking up. So, so I so, think yeah. one of the good things about this whole year, this, this whole series that we're doing in here is that is we're hopefully we'll be a little better equipped and broaden our mindset on different ways, different methods and uh, of within our life and where we are on how we can evangelize and how we can take the message as we go into different places whether we're you know traveling or just at work or, or wherever we are that we have opportunities and we'll learn how to to share Jesus wherever, wherever we are and I'm kind of I'm excited tonight um, all people to talk to them won't be here because we're in the west side for the area wide but um, there's you guys do it uh, take it upon yourselves uh, we have a uh, Peter Thicket, I think ticker, it's ticker, ticker, ticker is coming from Australia. I'd ask him, hey, how different is it to evangelize in Australia versus, you know, say America? Or, or ask him, how different is America to you? Right? I guarantee you he has to do different things probably um, in, in Australia that you know, wouldn't work here in the Western, in America. Oh, go for it, Eric. Uh, and even though. Our society has changed. What hasn't changed is the power of the word. Absolutely. And and we have diminished the power when we don't think it will change people today or that people won't change today. People are the same. Society has changed. Our approaches may be different, but the word can still change people today. I'm glad you said that because um, that was my how I was going to finish the class. We're going to jump forward a little bit since we're running out of time. But um, as a church or an individual Christian, do we have issues with this command today? And why, Ricky? Curiosity. Well, people are... I, I don't... Most people feel inadequate in themselves and therefore they feel that 
what they're presenting is inadequate. They don't feel that that power of God working through their own lives, and therefore, you know, they probably won't believe anyway. I think it also comes down to your definition of evangelism, because I feel like growing up in the church, evangelism. If you just say the word evangelism, the first thing that pops into your brain, like we talked about, door is a missionary or door knocking. Yep. And it's a formalized evangelism where I'm going to come and ask you, would you like a Bible study? And so it's opening myself up to, well, if I ask for Bible, if I ask if they want a Bible study, then I have to be able to do a formalized Bible study where there's going to be all these, you know, theologic questions and like all this stuff. But what we have to break down is that was never what evangelism, that was never the singular definition of evangelism. When, when Jesus said go, it was just an action verb. It wasn't, it didn't tell us a definition of how many miles we have to go. It's, he's just saying outside of this group of believers, you have to go to, out to people who don't believe to spread the word. That can be down the street, that can be at your job, that can be anywhere. And he didn't say, you know, set up a Bible lesson plan and like do all these things. He's just saying in your life, go. You spread what I'm saying. Spread how I've affected your life. Like do these things. It's it's just a daily thing. We have to just change our definition and our minds of what evangelism is. And some of the most effective people were not great teachers, or they were people that could just talk to people and relate to people and say, I don't have. I know somebody who knows a lot more than I do, and they talk with you about this. And a third party comes in and that has the Bible knowledge and knows how to present and how and they were very effective evangelists without and, and a lot of people in the church didn't know. It's almost like when so you quiet. teaching little kids how to read. Um, it's not it's way more effective if you start at home with the parents than it is sending them to school and start from scratch at the age of five. Um, there's a program called Success by Six. You, all kids are supposed to be able to read by six. Well, the Success by Six is most effective when you've started way earlier on. So I think when we taught our kids to read, it was as we walked around. It was when we were at the grocery store, we were talking about, oh, look, here's green beans. Look, gee, green beans, got, got green. You know, just little things that we do all along the way. And I think evangelism is the same thing. It's just talking about Jesus as we go, as we walk. Like, how are we, how are we spreading how he's working in our lives to other people? It's just regular conversation. Absolutely. David, you had something? Well, I mean, I, it was that go out and have conversations. And I think a lot of times today, and getting those people to have that conversation, something Rick said is a lot of people look at those of us in the churches, you know, sometimes, you know, thinking, oh, you think you're perfect or something, you know, and I think it's having that conversation, like, you know, I'm not perfect, but let me show you how this works for me. Kind of like what Amanda was talking about earlier in the, in the class, you know, is let me show you how this helps me, and the same thing Jeremy was talking about earlier. This is how I've gotten where I am. Why don't you come have a conversation, and let's, let's, let's see how this could maybe help you and work for you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And instead of thinking that, you know, I always hate it when I sit down and somebody goes, oh, you're just, you know, perfect, aren't you? And you're like, no, by no means, you know. But just because you know that I talk about my faith or, or I discuss Christianity more than somebody else you might know, you think that. And that's not, that, you know, you're always like, man, I, how did that come across that way? But I don't also want to hold back and not talk about my Christianity or talk about my faith. No, it's hard. And I'll tell you this before we close off. 
Because um, at the last evangelistic class I took was actually with David, with your father, before he passed away. I don't remember how long ago that was, but um, he asked us in class, there's about seven of us, and he said, you know, um, what prevents you guys from evangelism? And I said time. At that point, I just didn't have time, right? And um, he, he made this one comment, he goes, that's the devil getting inside of you, giving you, and there's a whole bunch of them, time, fear, I mean, so he wasn't directing this at me, but at, at, after we said all of our disbeliefs, he said, that's the devil making you believe in unbelief. And he's winning in that aspect. Because we're not out there evangelizing and getting people to convert to Christianity, then he's winning. Right? So we can always find time. We can always take that first step. It's just convincing ourselves to do that and not letting the devil get into our minds and convincing us that we, we don't have the ability or time to do it. So thank you guys again for a great second class. Come back next week. We're going to start talking about uh, conversational evangelism.